Hello, and welcome to Fulcrum Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Episodes will typically be uploaded every Monday, and any changes to that schedule will be posted on our Twitter at Fulcrum Pod and Instagram at Fulcrum Podcast. Be sure to follow us on either of those for previews and information about upcoming episodes. My name is Sage. I use she and they pronouns. Um, you can find me at TikTok and Twitter at Sage Sindula. My name is Claire. My pronouns are she, her, and you can find me on TikTok at Claire Kenobi and on Twitter at Corky Kenobi. So I guess we can start by talking about Elzar because he does a lot in this book. Even right from the prologue, I mean, the book starts out with his visions, which are a lot. Like it was get, like getting hit over the head with a brick right after starting. Um, and then him and Avar split off, which obviously takes a toll on him because he like is is honestly just better as a whole when he's with her um, and they work together really well. So when he's not able to work side by side with her and the scene where um, he thinks that she's going to be showing up and then it's not her is obviously a big moment for him. But he does get to work with Stellan, which after hearing about Stellan in the previous books, it's nice to actually see Stellan and see Stellan and Elzar's relationship. And I'm excited for when we get Elzar, Stellan and Avar all together, um, hopefully soon. Um, But Elzar's visions are a big thing for him. And then obviously his little brush with the dark side during the fair. Um, But I think he has, for me, I think that his like emotional journey in this book was the most interesting to me because we see at the beginning, he specifically says like, I don't, I'm not the kind of person who asks for help. I'm known for figuring things out on my own to the end of the book where he specifically goes to Stellan and says, Hey, this happened and I need help and I can't deal with it on my own. So yeah, I've known you for as long as I've known anyone and I trust you. And Stellan is more than willing to help him. Um, and so I think that their relationship is really important. And I think that it's going to be a big part of like upcoming novels. Just seeing Elzar learning that it's okay to ask for help and not be perfect to everything all the time was a really big part for me. And I really, this was a book where I really became attached to Elzar, I think. Yeah, Elzar's a very... Um, it's one of those characters where he's very relatable, but also someone you can look up to, um, which we get a lot of in the higher public because you can tell that he struggles with asking for help. And that is something that I feel like a lot of people can relate to um, just in general and with anything. But then he does. And you're like, wow, I could I could totally do that, too. Like I could ask for help. And it's admirable, admirable of him to do that, especially when we look at the Clone Wars era and we see like Anakin and he's kind of not asking for help um, during Clone Wars in the show. And we can see that Elzar is obviously, there are things that we can see between Elzar and Anakin, like how they relate. They're not the same. Um, Elzar does ask for help and Elzar has, um, he does work through what he's feeling. Yeah, I think the parallels between Elzar and Anakin are really interesting because I do see people comparing them and saying, I have seen people say like, oh, Elzar is the Anakin of this time period, which I'm like, no, it's not that simple. Elzar's, I think Elzar is supposed to be a reflection of Anakin. So like, this is what Anakin could have been if he'd asked for help, which is why I don't think that like Elzar, if there's anyone, I definitely don't think Elzar would be the person to like, if, if people think that someone is going to turn to the dark side, I don't think it'd be Elzar just because I feel like it would be going back 
on that intention of showing that he's what Anakin could have been had he reached out and had the Jedi Order been a better resource for him during the time when he was a member of it. But for Elzar, he has Stellan and he has Avar and like the Order as a whole willing to help him. And so I think that that's really the key difference that they're trying to get at and show that the Jedi of the High Republic were more well-equipped to help someone struggling with something like what Elzar or Anakin is struggling with. As for someone turning to the dark side, I don't I don't believe that it's going to be Elzar either. It worries me to think about who will because it is kind of looking like someone is going to because we do know that the High Republic series is probably going to end somewhere close to the start of the Sith. Um, and we'll probably see kind of how that starts. There's a lot of talk about Keeve. Um, who is in the uh, High Republic comic series a lot. She also makes an appearance in Tempest Runner, which we'll be talking about in a later episode. I hope it's not her. I do think that one of the contenders could be Avar. Um, and then that is that is an upsetting thing to think about. But with her connection to all of the Jedi, um, and also we see in she's not really present in the rising storm she's not on valo when the nihil attack she is she is busy with the drangir um in her own little storyline and then we see like at the end of um the high republic comics i think issue nine maybe it, it's she learns about what happens on valo and um in light of the jedi we saw how she really does take responsibility for a lot of things. She she thinks she's responsible for a lot because she has this great power that to connect all of the Jedi together. Um, and so her not being on Valo is something that I think is going to affect her a lot more than what she's leading on in the like, later projects when we see her. Um, I think that's going to be a huge part of the Fallen Star. And so I think that her the amount of responsibility that she takes upon herself is something that could bring upon the downfall of Avar Chris. Yeah, I think that, I definitely think that Avar's connection with the other Jedi, because it's such a focal point of Light of the Jedi, and honestly, like, everything that she's a part of is definitely gonna, in some way, be weaponized against the Jedi in Fallen Star. I think that it makes sense. Um, Yeah, I can see that ending, because it's, with Starlight Beacon, that's like her thing. So if Starlight Beacon's going down, I can see a situation where it's like she wants to like go down with the ship, so to speak. So she ends up dying there. And I can see a situation where she makes it out of there, but she has a lot of like survivor's guilt and like she couldn't save her station or the people aboard it, which could manifest in some dark feelings for her. So I can see, I don't, yeah, I see not happy endings for her basically in summary no happy endings <laughs> for Avar and that and is very, so, a very Claudia Gray thing to do as well yeah. so I am nervous for the fallen star also just the consequences of Avar anything happening to Avar with Elzar and Stellan both being major characters and them all being so close and like we already see this sort of tension between Stellan and Avar with how to handle the die hill and their disagreements that already exist 
So I think that anything happening to her, obviously it would be really bad for Elzar, but it'd be bad for Stellan too. And Stellan and Elzar are already working through dealing with what happened with Elzar in Rising Storm. So that on top of it is going to have some really bad consequences for them too, I think. Yes, there will be, there will be trouble amidst the polycule. (laughs) (laughs) The polycule might be breaking up, unfortunately. That's the saddest part of the High Republic. (laughs) Yeah. All these bad things are happening, but the polycule breaking up, that's my breaking point. (laughs) (laughs) It sucks too, because we haven't really seen them all three together. And now I'm like, it's probably going to be the first time we really get them all working together and then something bad happens. I'm like, I just want them all working together, not having to dread how it's going to turn out for them. (laughs) Let's talk about Bell Zedifar. Um, Bell Zedifar, we were introduced in... um, the Light of the Jedi. He had an important role in that book. He has a very, very important role in this book. Uh, this is where this book is where I absolutely fell in love with Belzadavar. Um, he really goes through it from the very first chapter that he is in until the very last chapter of the book. He is going through it. <laughs> Give my boy yeah. a break, please. Uh, we see him at the beginning. Um, in a shipyard with uh, Indira Stokes, who is now his master after loading Great Storm. Um, Everyone thinks he's dead. We as the reader know that he is not dead. He's actually just been um, captured by Marjan Rao. And we see Bell Bell and Loden have this connection. And everyone's telling Bell, you know, it's okay, you're closer to him now. You know, he's, he's one with the force and you are a vessel of the force. And Bella's like, I don't feel that though. I feel like he's, I can't reach him at all. And throughout the entire book, we're getting this, um, this feelings from Belle. Like, I, I feel like he's not with me. I can't feel him. And then in towards the end, he's kind of realizing, okay, I'm, I'm actually okay. You know, I'm going, I've been going through my grieving process and I'm at a place where I could be okay without Loden. And then the ending happens and he finds Loden. And it's a great moment because you're like, wow, they're together again. And it's, everything's great. And Belle thinks everything's great. And then Loden literally turns to stone in front of him. So I am incredibly worried. We have not seen Belle since then, except for in the little beginning of Trail of Shadows, um, but it's something we've already seen. Like, we don't know how he's doing other than he is in a shock ward, and that is it. Yeah, the ending for Bell is really vague here, and then we have him on the cover of Fallen Star where he looks basically fine, and so I have a lot of questions. Yeah, the I, the chapter with where we really get into detail about Loden and the like torture that Martian has been putting him through, like kind of, it kind of took me back because I really didn't expect them to get that dark and that like in depth. I was like, oh, this is really much worse than I was expecting. And it's kept vague throughout the novel too, that like we know Martian wants to be testing something on Loden, but we don't really know much information Indira and Belle are a really good master and apprentice relationship, which is kind of sucks because you can't really appreciate it because the whole time you're just like, Loden should be here. 
Um, especially when we see Bell intentionally cutting himself off from the forest so he like doesn't have to feel the void where Lode should be was really sad to see and especially when older Jedi are able to notice that and kind of speculate and be like trying to help him but he's sort of cutting himself off from people he does have Ember though which is great we love Ember Ember's Ember's his emotional support dog Mm -hmm. Ember also like saves Belle's life at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this book girl I love you so much thank you for saving (laughs) Belle yeah and then we have Loden and Belle's reunion which was very like I was definitely crying um it was a lot and then immediately gets turned around and they're like no you can't have this and I was very upset (laughs) yeah the the pacing of this novel was incredible I thought from the very beginning you're like hooked in and it does not like relax until about two-thirds of the way in after Valo has been attacked and the night hill are kind of driven off um and then it gets right you, you're kind of slowed down a little bit and you're you're having a good time and then it gets right back into it and then everything's great and the Jedi are winning and it's how it's supposed to be you know and then everything is awful. <laughs> like there is not a happy ending for a single character in, in the book. Um, at the end of there, we have Elzar is on the brink of death. <laughs> we have Belle who is crying in a in a ball on the floor. And then Loden who is Ash. Because I had heard vague things going into it that the ending was a lot. And I was like, okay, I'm like trying to mentally prepare myself. And it's pretty close to the end and things still seem to be going well. And at that point, I was getting kind of confused. I was like, I like this doesn't seem bad. And then in the last like two chapters, they just flip everything on its head and everything starts going really badly for everyone. Last chapter, I was like having a breakdown, especially with because we have Elzar and him crashing his vector and then Stellan and him have their little moment where Elzar's like, I thought like things were over but they're not and we still have a lot to be afraid of um and then Bell and Loden obviously and just the way that it ends with so much uncertainty and we still haven't really gotten any more of that since then we've gotten little bits and pieces thrown into other novels and the comics but we don't really know what's going on especially with this specific group of characters like Elzar and Bell have really been absent so we don't know exactly what's going on with them and so I'm really excited but fearful about Fallen Star because it's not going to be great, but at least we'll get some more information about how everyone's doing right now. And in this um, book, we also get Ty Yorick. We're introduced to that queen. Ty is a lightsaber for hire. So she was a Jedi at some point. For some reason, she's not now. Basically, in the her beginning, her start to this in this book, she's kind of like, I'm doing a job. This is just like, you know, money. And then someone's like, I need help. And she like can't really resist it. You know, she's like, oh, well, someone needs help. Oh, it's for the money. But she we know, you know, she can't just ignore someone when they need help, which is very Jedi-like of her. Um, especially because we don't know all the information regarding how she ended up where she is, which I think is interesting and is going to be something that they can do a lot with. Um, 
her and Elzar, I think that they have a really fun working relationship that they like immediately click. I mean, well, I, not immediately because I guess she like, like almost killed him. <laughs> after they moved on from that, after they, I really like their little mind meld moment where they like see each other's paths. That was very funny and also really great. Um, and then from that point forward, they just really, they really work well together. Um, which I really like to see the two of them doing stuff together, especially when you could see other characters who are more hesitant towards working with Ty. And even Elzar is like, I don't really trust you, but I need your help right now. So whatever. And other characters are like, mm, this doesn't seem like a great idea, but they end up working together and Ty ends up really helping them out. Um, and so I think that Ty and Elzar working together is going to be a really interesting thing to hopefully see more of. Yeah, it's kind of, it's cute too, because it's like Elzar was the character um, in the first book who even Avar was like, no one wants to work with Elzar. He's a, he's an unconventional Jedi. And even in, you know, The Rising Storm, like we really only see like in terms of Jedi, like Elzar is interacting with Stellan a lot. He kind of interacts with Bell at some points, but really it's just Stellan. And it kind of shows, you know, he doesn't, he's really not like other Jedi. And so he meets someone who's not a Jedi, um, but has Jedi-like qualities. And I feel like that's kind of how Elzar almost sees himself. He does see himself as a Jedi, but he sees himself as like a, I, at first and foremost, I am a user of the force. Um, and that is how Ty sees herself as well. She She's not a Jedi, but she does have the force and she will use that to do good um even though she might not want to admit that's the sole reason of, like that's her sole purpose but you know she she does like doing good things um and so yeah they're they have a great dynamic in the aspect they have an understanding of each other that elzar is not going to have with other jedi who are more conventional um i guess let's talk a little bit about the Nihil and what they're up to because they're the Tempest Runners in particular in this book are doing a lot Pan Pan and Martian are really like beefing um Pan finds out about or not all the details but he knows that Martian has someone who's feeding him the information on what the paths are and he confronts him about it which for I was, was really actually unexpected to me I figured that that would happen eventually but I didn't think it would happen in this book in the way that it did but they have a lot of confrontations in this book and Martian really proves himself to be not just smart but also well yes smart he is able to outsmart Pan even when Pan comes back from Valo and is reveling in his own success Martian like immediately shuts him down and doesn't let and like basically almost kills him um and then Lorna and Pan team up quote unquote except she not I'm just when they kissed I just can't not think about it no every time I think of honestly Pan I'm like ew not that yeah <laughs> it was so shocking because I, I was just reading it and she saved him and I was like okay whatever and then they kissed and I was like what's happening not this and then it actually it turns out she was just trying to kill him so yeah much happening it was it was a shock like there was a lot of shocking things that happened in this book yeah but Lorna D kissing Panetta was terrifying <laughs> Lorna D was fantastic in this book 
um, you know, she she led the ground assault on Valo. Uh, hate the fact that she was hurting a lot of the characters that I love. However, she is mean, and and I'm in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lorna. All of her scenes while they're on Valo were really powerful. Um, I do love the scene where they go back to like the Niho base and Pan comes in and he's all like, oh my God, I'm so cool. And he thinks that Lorna had died on Valo. And then she just walks in and is like, hey, Pan. And he's like, oh shit, I am bugged right now. (laughs) It was so funny. I was like, yes, Lorna, fucking end him. I hate him so much. Pan always just has me on a whole roller coaster because he always like gets in fights with everyone and then is like almost dead but then he's not but then he actually is but he isn't and I just he's always die like just yeah I'm like just go it's fine like I can't wait until we talk about Tempest Runner and it's just 30 minutes of us shitting on Panada (laughs) (laughs) literally the whole time I was listening to Tempest Runner I was like oh my god I don't want to hear this man ever again yeah at first even you like don't know it's Pan no Mm -hmm. immediately I was like this is Pan yeah (laughs) yeah yeah because I was like he sounds the same so Mm -hmm. but I thought he what's happened I thought he was dead I thought thought got rid of him yeah he's on his little like revenge streak in Tempest Runner which no I'm not rooting for him even though I'm like Martian my enemy but like he kind of went off when he tried to murder Pan Ada that was pretty great of him yeah thank you Um. for that a lot Oh my god, I don't yeah. even know where to start with him in Rising Storm. Martian Rowe is terrifying in this book. Um, he does just right off the bat, uh, one thing he does is cut off a uh, load and great storms like who, and that made me want to vomit. Um, I was really upset when that happened, and I had to take a break. <laughs> Let's talk about where he's where we start with Marcian Rowe. Um, he's with his little bird boyfriend, Udi Dis, uh, and they're they're in this ice cave with Kufa, who I think is like Marcian's like cousin, great cousin, something. She's described as being very old. She knows a lot about him um, and has saying, like, oh, you've returned. So a little bit of Mark Lore there. That was great. Um, they're going to find something. And Udidis thinks that they're going to some ceremony. And then they get down deep into this ice cave. And Udidis is like, what's going on? And then we get to see, um, well, we get, we, it is implied that there is something in this ice. Um, and we then later find out uh, that that thing is called the leveler. Now, the leveler is something that I am very interested in and that <laughs> I have been going absolutely insane over since since July. Um, I, I have like cork boards and annotations. And so, yes, the theories on the leveler are ever evolving, uh, ever evolving. Um, but yeah, so in that scene, we get him and Kufa are pretty much talking a lot about balance. And we don't really know what that means at first, like, but he's saying, oh, the leveler, it'll bring balance. Anything to add on to that? 
Marcian's character to me is equally frustrating, but also interesting because everything that we learn about him just gives me like a million more questions. Like as soon as they introduce Koopa and they're like, yeah, we're cousins. I'm like, what? I thought you didn't have any family. And now I'm even more confused. And like Udi Dis, it's kind of unclear what their relationship is. And I have questions about that. And then the whole time they're there, I don't really know. We don't really know what's going on. Um, so it just left me like even more confused about Martian and what his backstory is. And like coming off of the end of Light of the Jedi too, when he is talking to Loden and he clearly has some very personal like history with the Jedi that's caused for him hating them so much and hating the Republic, but we don't know what it is. And we don't really get any more elaboration on that. We just get more and more questions about him so that they've really set him up in a good place where they can kind of have him be or do anything going forward. Right. I'm I'm excited for um his little comic run that he's getting mm-hmm. by Charles Soule. But yeah, if we want to continue on the leveler, yes. <laughs> some thoughts. <laughs> some thoughts. At the end of that little ice cave scene, Udi Dis is dying. He's bleeding out. And Mark is just kind of standing there, just watching him. Uh really rude of him. Udi Dis then says that he cannot feel the force he cannot feel the droids coming to attack him um and everything is kind of a blur and everything's crazy and he tells mark that he's like i can't feel anything and mark is like wow it works the leveler works and then we get into the towards the end of the book we have Belzetafar and Loden Greatstorm, and they're trying to pull Lorna D's ship out of the sky with the force, and then the force just goes away. Um, and Bell is in this like storm of screaming and nothing at the same time. And then he wakes up to see Loden <laughs> in ashes. Um, so the the running theory at the moment is that the the leveler does take away force sensitivity. Now, there are a lot of theories that I've been seeing other people say about the leveler. One in particular, uh, friends, friends of the pod, um, Ollie and Julia, Ollie, uh, Ollie Fresh and Julia Christine 77, they were saying that they think the uh, leveler does sever force bonds. And so the reason that Bell survived the leveler, but Loden didn't, was because of their bond. Now, spoilers for the latest issue of the High Republic comics. Um, we do see Tara and Sarah. Um, they go through a little something with the leveler, and one of them does turn into Ash, and the other, at least as far as we know, does not. So that would kind of reinforce that theory. Um, it's it's interesting because I know that Keeve was also affected by the leveler and Skier and Keeve do have a bond in the force. So we don't really know if Skier is affected at all at this point. I don't think he is because he is said to be in the next comic. But that is a theory that is definitely worth bringing up, which brings us back to Avar Chris because she can have a force bond with literally any Jedi. Um, And so her 
being on Starlight Beacon with hundreds of Jedi is extremely concerning, <laughs> um, if, if that is so. So we were talking about Avar turning to the dark side. Um, her being the reason that everyone turns to Ash would be, would be a valid reason for her to turn to the dark side. There's just some, there's a little theory, a little theory to bring up for the pod today. <laughs> Back to the rising storm though. Yeah, the leveler terrifies me. I also think that, I mean, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts about things that might, may or may not happen in Fallen Star, but I do think that it would be interesting. I think that Martian sort of is on this like tragic hero arc right now. Although, I mean, he's not the hero, but he does have sort of a traditional hero's journey going on. Um, and I think that it would be interesting if he, I do think that ultimately he's going to end up being his own downfall. I don't know exactly how, but I think that that's really, a, that would be how I would expect that character to end up because he's just going to keep wanting to go bigger and wanting more and more. And eventually that's going to come back to hurt him. Um and so I think that that could happen really, it could happen in Fallen Star, it could happen later. I don't really know. We also have this contraption that we see briefly in the Rising Storm that basically renders lightsabers useless. Um, and so a combination of that and the leveler could be very bad for the Jedi and could really be almost an awakening for them of like, even at this time, the Jedi try to not rely too much on the Force and on their lightsabers, but they still, at the end of the day, do specifically rely on the Force. So if they don't have the ability to use the Force or their lightsabers, they're not going to be able to defend Starlight from the Nihil because their like weapons are their lightsabers and the Force is a weapon for them when they're in battle. So without those two things, it's not it's not going to end well for them, I don't think. Markian Rowe slowly bringing people who can take, people and things who can take away the Jedi's abilities. Um, he really, he really hates the Jedi. He definitely has something against Force sensitives, uh, which I am looking forward to finding out why. Did you want to talk about your little Mark being Force sensitive theory? Yeah, so this is a thing that I'm still kind of piecing together because occasionally there'll be things where I'm like, hmm, this, like, how does this fit in? I'm not sure if it does, but I do think that it would, here's the thing. I think it's interesting to have villains that are not force sensitive. However, I also think that it would be interesting to have Martian end up being force sensitive. Um, a few of the things that really stood out to me was, first of all, he obviously has some sort of past where he doesn't like the Jedi, we don't know why. And I think that if it was him or even someone in his family history who was force sensitive, who was affiliated with the Jedi and then wasn't for some reason. I also think that he uses Loden's lightsaber a lot in Rising Storm and just the way he's able to use it so well, like there's a scene where he pulls out the saber on Pan Ada and Pan's like, I didn't even know he could move that fast. And like, he's wielding this lightsaber really well. And we know that lightsaber kyber crystals like draw power from their users. So it's not implausible for a non-force sensitive to use a lightsaber, but the skill with which he's using it, I'm a little, little questionable. Um, there is also a moment where, cause he does have his little daddy issues going on. Um, but he, at the end when the leveler is about to be unleashed, 
he, while he's building his little glow stick thing that controls it or something. Um, before he's able to put it together, he hears his father's voice, which is very similar to what happened with Udi Dis earlier. And then once he puts together the little glow stick, it stops. And I think the line is something like, and he like, he was still talking, but Martian wasn't listening anymore. And so just little things, I'm like, hmm. And that would make the, it, that would make it even more interesting if somehow he ends up using the leveler, but it goes, it backfires on him and he ends up being dead because of it. So I'm just like, every time like there's new Martian content, I'm just, it's just in my mind. I think it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love, not, I, I love the idea, like when we started a, the High Republic series, like, oh, cool, a, a, a opponent to the Jedi who is not force sensitive, who is not the Sith. Um, it's very much, it's the relationship I have with Marcion is very much like the relationship I have with Thrawn, where I'm like, you are, like, you kill people and <laughs> you're definitely not a good person, but I have so much interest in how your brain works and all the plans that you create. Um, and also, you know, we, we have some evidence that Thrawn is also force sensitive too. Um, but so there are little things that are just there. Some Thrawn Markian parallels that I love. I love the idea of Mark being force sensitive though. I really do. I think maybe it would be interesting if he is revealed to be force sensitive and that is his downfall and then he's gone and then there's an opportunity for someone else to sort of become the main villain who wouldn't be force sensitive. So then it's not just like a repeat of the same cycle where like the Jedi are going up against a force sensitive villain. Um, so if that ends up being his demise, then it opens up the possibility for a new um, whether that be whoever ends up sort of taking the reins of the Nihil or someone completely different to be completely non-force sensitive, I think would be really interesting too. Right, which is also like a something that I've been thinking about lately is the end of this first phase is coming up very soon. Um, towards like, I think February is when we get our last novel um, of phase one. And I'm very interested in seeing how many characters from this phase are gonna be in the next phase. And if the same issues are gonna be apparent because we already um, at the end of the rising storm in terms of time, because it does take happen in the High Republic comics, the Drangir are pretty much eradicated. So that's not really a problem anymore. The Nihil, are still a huge issue. And um, we see that also in Out of the Shadows. That's the main plot point is the Nihil. But we also have a lot of politics that are in order and a lot of family issues like between uh, powerful families. And so I'm interested in seeing, is this going to be something that happened, the Nihil and Marquion Rose, is gonna be something that happens throughout the entire series or is it just setting up for something even bigger coming coming soon? So I guess that kind of leads us into Out of the Shadows, if we want to talk about that. Um, we have a lot, well, we have Silvestri, who gets introduced in this book, who I love so much. Um, yeah, I just love her. She's a very interesting character. It's nice. I really like when they give us solid non-Jedi characters, especially when they're interacting with Jedi. And we also get Jordana, too. And the two of them, the way that they talk about the Force and interact with Jedi it's really interesting to see because even the two of them have very differing opinions on the force and even Jordana like 
we get this sense that in the past she had an even deeper like not I guess connection with the force not that she was like using the force but she believed in it and that sort of like fizzled out and same with her belief in the Jedi as these terrible things have been happening to her and how she's had to learn to fight for herself um so the two of them and the way that they view the force as non-force sensitives is very interesting to me and I think that they were very strong characters and then obviously their relationship is my favorite thing ever I love them so much yes um Justina Ireland did such an amazing job with this book and um in general and also with our queer representation I just love that I just love that for us uh Silvestri and Jordana are our girlfriends and that's important and I love it and when I'm reading it you know it felt so just natural and so you know it wasn't the main focal point and it also had an impact you know they both existed at the same time um and so yeah Justina Ireland thank you for that we love that yeah it's really nice to see them together and I think that one thing that all the High Republic authors have done really well, which is part of the reason why I like it so much, is because they write they write chemistry between characters really well. Every relationship between characters is believable just based on how they interact. Like Sylvester and Jordana act like they dated and then broke up and it wasn't great. They, you can get that from just their interactions. Um, and you see that a lot with other relationships throughout the series, be it romantic or just master and apprentice or friendships. And I think, yeah, Jordana is definitely one of my new favorite characters. She, I think, has a very interesting story and a very interesting view of the world. And so the two of them being put together and getting to have these really, it's really, they're both young women and it's relatable to see them like they're in the midst of all this chaos and Sylvester's like I just need to focus on getting this job done and getting my payment and getting out of here but oh my god my ex-girlfriend is here and I'm trying not to think like that's all very in it's in character and it's very relatable for people of the ages that these characters are to be thinking about and so the whole time reading it I was just like this is a very natural and believable relationship and it was really really great to see it another relationship um that we get to see is between um Vernestra and Imri their master and apprentice relationship really took off in this book you know it's in the aftermath of Valo uh which is where we last saw Vernestra um in uh Race to Crash My Tower and she is dealing with that trauma that she got from that. Um, and not only is she dealing with her own trauma and her own um, after effects of all the catastrophe that happened, she's also trying to decipher Emery's trauma that he got because she's, she's seeing, okay, my Padawan was really affected by this, not only because he's a kid and he just witnessed this whole horrible thing that happened, but he also has great empathic ability and all of the horrible feelings and the fear that everyone was feeling while being victimized by the Nihil on Valo, Imri felt all of it. And so now he has so little control over his feelings. We see that as soon as he gets to Coruscant, just a planet with 
a trillion people on it, he is freaking out. And Vernestra is trying to find ways to help him and maybe doesn't know exactly how. And she's just doing her best, but she's reaching out to other people and she's asking them for help and saying, I need help with my Padawan. I This is not my area of expertise. I don't exactly know how. And then we see Wreath comes in um, and he he has ideas to help Imri, um, which is another relationship we see between Bernestra and Wreath, which is adorable. I love their friendship. Um, but, you know, she, Bernestra is a great character because she does, she's not closed off to asking for help. She doesn't think that she has to do everything on her own. Yeah, Imri also... I mean, I just love Imri in general, but going back to the thing of like teenagers and young adults being written really realistically, Imri is going, Imri's really going through it in the whole series, but specifically in this book. But he still gets moments where it reminds you and it makes it even more sad because it reminds you that he's still a child. And so we'll have little moments of him being like, Vern, I'm honestly just like starving right now. Can I go eat? And she's like, sure. And he has like his whole thing with Jordana's cat where he's like, I just want to pet your cat and the cat doesn't like him. And so they'll put little stuff like that in there in between when he's dealing with some very real stuff and trying to figure out his whole emotional connection to everyone around him. And so I think he's a he's a very realistic character. He feels very well fleshed out. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him grow as a Jedi and just as a person because I think that it's really emotional to see everything that happened to him really has like an extra layer of emotion because he's so young and a lot of the characters are so young but he really is very young and the stuff that he has gone through so far has been way more than he should have to deal with and it was really like when the Nihil take Imri I was just like no as soon as it was revealed that he got taken, I was about to cry because I was already like, he's just getting like, he's taking all the hits in this book. Like so much is happening to him and he's already going through his own stuff. He's still going through what he's been dealing with since Test of Courage. And then they kept putting more stuff on him and I just feel so bad for him. Yeah, the this book really showed us, it had very good representation of how different people are going to deal with trauma. And I thought that was in very important for them to address after having the last two like adult novels and the, and the um, uh, middle grade novels as well. But those two books, especially so many like horrible things happened. And then we have Silvestri who we haven't seen her before this novel, but she is someone who is living on the frontier where in taking the brunt of the impact of the Nihil, you know? And so we, we have her backstory through like her, her talking about it. We never saw it, but we can still, like we, we know what she's going through. You know, we know that because we have these other books, we, we can see um, the impact of the Nihil on that uh, piece of the galaxy. And so when we get to her and she's saying um, like all the things that have happened to her, we can feel how traumatic that must have been. Also her being uh, a young adult and, you know, she's had horrible things happen to her in such a little time in her life. 
Um, and so she, her, the way she reacts to things and the way she deals with her trauma and her ongoing trauma as well is very realistic. Um, and then, so we also see that with Jordana and with uh, Amory especially. Sylvester and Vern's relationship actually, I think is really interesting because they're both young, but they have very different outlooks on the world. And even Sylvester sort of sees Vern as a little bit naive, particularly when they first meet, because she has to be like, these politicians are just using you, like they, they're just using you to get a rise out of people. And I can see it, but you can't really, because Vern just wants to see the good in the situation, but Sylvester has had so much happen to her and she's not a Jedi, so she doesn't have the same viewpoint that Jedi have where she's like no I don't feel the need to like justify everything and think and try to like pull the good out of people I'm just gonna look at the surface level and like see people for what they are and the way that she's sort of able to talk to Vern and Vern is a very a person who is very open to learning and so for Vern to be very receptive and listen to her and come to these realizations of like maybe I like her interactions with people who aren't Jedi, she's learning that there are a lot of different ways to view the world. And I think that it's going to be good for Vern going forward because she obviously is in a place where they're setting her up for a lot of interesting storylines because she now has this path that Mari gave her and we don't know exactly when that's going to come into play, but it's clearly going to be something that Vern is going to need to do specifically either on her own or just with Imri. Um, and so I think that with what she learns from spending time with Sylvester and Jordana and just like her entire experience in this book is going to be really interesting when we see her sort of go off on her own to follow that path and find out what the deal is with that. Right. And I think she's also um, will probably make an appearance in Midnight Horizon. Um, that is our next young adult novel. And the only description we do have for that book is that Jedi and their Padawans go on an adventure. Um, so, you know, that would that would make sense that she'd be in it, her and Imri. Um, she also has another book coming up, Mission to Disaster, with that we know her and Imri are going to be in because um, they are on the cover. Um, worried for that, <laughs> worried for them. Imri does not need another disaster. That's all I'm saying. Give him a break, please. He's a child. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's it's so interesting to see, you know, these characters who are young. And I feel like this book especially has taken on the role of this is this is what happens when young people go through trauma and this is how people react to it. And it's something that we don't really have time for in the adult novels, you know, those Light of the Jedi and the Rising Storm, those are books that are very action-packed. And we see a little bit of Elzar dealing with his stuff that he's going through and some of Belle too as well. But really we're seeing it in this book, um, which is just setting up for our next books, which are going to be even worse <laughs> in, that, in that area. Yeah, there's this book really... I think ends in a good place where they have a lot to go off of moving forward. Um, we have, well, we have the Nile in an interesting place specifically with, well, Sylvester's mother, um, she is not dead and is working with the Nihil and she has the gravity's heart, which at the end we find out was basically just a 
stepping stone on the path to whatever their actual project is. Um, and so it's unclear, like it's, they have kind of have their own little thing going on, her and Lorna that's separate, it seems from what the rest of the Nihil are doing specifically to what Marshawn's doing, especially at the end when they sort of recruit Nan for that. Um, and so it's unclear how much that's gonna overlap with what Marcian ends up doing and what's going on in Fallen Star or whether that's gonna be kind of its own thing. And like Lorna has really set herself up to take more of a position of power within the Nihil. Um, and that's specifically more with Tempest Runner. We see that at the very end. So I think that Lorna definitely has her own plans. And so there could also be a point where her and Marcian end up at a crossroads where they both have their own weapons and it's just a matter of who's gonna win out. Marcian is also in a complicated spot now because Mari is no longer with us so rest in peace she, yeah <laughs> you will be missed like, greatly miss her so much but like it was like happy for her that she's not yeah happy with that all she's that not anymore. in the tube anymore yeah <laughs> um and so now Marcian is that that was and he's now established himself as a leader in a sense of like he has good ideas and he's gained the respect of the Nihil but once they figure out that he doesn't have access to get any more paths anymore I, it's not probably going to be long where they're still willing to follow him so I do I do think it'd be interesting and I think it's semi-likely that there's going to be a division where the Nihil sort of split off because we clearly can already see that there are Lorna's people and there's Marshawn's people and there's the other Tempest too but those are sort of the two major players because like we have like Nan, who was clearly one of Marcion's people and is now sort of joining up on Lorna's side. We have, ugh, we have Cricks. I don't hate to, hate to give him a platform, but um, <laughs> he is there, <laughs> who's very much on Marcion's team. Like, ugh, I hate him hate so much. bring up that homophobe on this podcast. <laughs> really sorry to mention the homophobic little child um, who like literally just, has his little Martian cosplay and is off doing the first like very beginning when Nan and Crix are in the same room and Nan is like I literally want to punch this kid so badly I was like you wanted to like kill him she yeah was, I could literally kill him right now easily but then she's like oh but I don't want to get on Martian's bad side I literally was just like do no, it dude. please <laughs> I love Nan I really do. And I think that is a very unpopular opinion amongst the High Republic fans. Um, I'm I'm obsessed with her, actually. <laughs> I think that she is an extremely interesting character. And just her, like, view of, I'm a part of the Nihil, but I'm also alone, you know? And, until she, and she wants more power, obviously. She wants to have her own Tempest. And she there's, like, a line where she's like, well, I don't want uh tempest like lorna's who are just assassins or like pans who are just like crazy i want a tempest of spies who use their brains over their bronze and she wants to run a tempest and she wants power but she also and until she gets that though she feels very alone and that's more of the subtext in her like point of views in the book but she doesn't necessarily feel like she's a part of anything until she is like in charge 
And so when she joins with Lorna, she's kind of like, oh, well, here I am, you know, I'm, I'm leaving Mark for a little bit, but I'll go back. Like, she's kind of like, I, I'm in the place right now where I need to work on my own thing. Maybe I'll join back with the Nihil because I am Nihil, but, you know, I've always been at my best when I'm alone. And I think that is a very interesting idea for, for an antagonist character. Yeah, Nan definitely specifically, like, by the end of this book, because at the beginning, I'm like, okay, she's just kind of one of Martian's little, like, followers, which is fine, whatever, like, I also, she literally, I think is a line where she's like, Martian is, like, really pretty, and I was like, you know, you're so right, <laughs> but, like, the line in particular, actually, <laughs> is, is, he was as deadly as he was beautiful, I had to shut the book for a minute <laughs> and think and reflect. I had to reflect a minute. And then, and then like a few lines before that though, she describes his skin as being leathery. And I was yeah, like, oh, we, she was getting like really right? descriptive about him. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's dial it back. Um, but she does really, and also I was like, welcome to Crick's anti-ism, like love to have you here. But she, by the end, because I'm like, okay, she's one of his followers, whatever, that's fine. And it seems when she's trying to like keep Mari alive, she's just like, I just need to impress Martian. But then by the end, when she's confronted with this choice of like, you can run back to Martian and he might kill you or do whatever for letting Mari die. Um, rather than just running back to him, she's like, thinks for a second and is like, no, I like, that's just gonna get me killed this is going to set me on a path to power. So she stays there and is like, all right, I'll help you. And I really liked that scene for her. I think it, it, yeah, it sets her up to be a really interesting antagonist going forward. And I can definitely see, it's very likely that we're gonna see her sort of rising through the ranks of the Nihil, specifically if she's working with Lorna and sort of rising through the ranks of like Lorna's Tempest um, and helping out a lot with whatever this thing is that, Lorna and her people are currently working on yeah we love to see girl bosses winning um, truly <laughs> I can't wait for Nan to have her own Tempest I think that like 18 19 year old Nan being a Tempest runner with a bunch of like grown-ass adults <laughs> is going to be the best thing in the world I yeah, uh, I hope I really hope that she becomes a Tempest runner also partially just because like I I literally don't think I could care less about Zeter. Like, I kind of forget about him sometimes. I forgot honestly. that he was a Tempest runner because yeah. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't do anything. Like the only, like in Rising Storm, he's just like, oh, I'm gonna like have my suit so I can like be bigger than Pan Ada. And I'm like, I like I also don't like Pan Ada, but like I do not care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if he goes away and Nan steps up, that's fine with me. I don't feel the need to see him. But yeah, the power structure within the Nihil is really like changing a lot right now. And we see it more at the end of Tempest Runner. And so I think that going forward, there's definitely going to be a power shift. Um, I mean, maybe I'm just, maybe it's just me like projecting because it's what I want. But I do think that Lorna sort of taking the reins when she, when she reveals what she's been working on, whatever it ends up being, um, 
if it's something that can sort of overpower what Martian's doing, especially now that he doesn't have Bari anymore. Um, I think that Lorna taking over the Nihil and making it her own thing would be really cool to see going into the next phase of books. With this book, we at the end, we got um, Vernestra getting the path from Mari. Um, I think that that is something that is terrifying and also awesome because one, she has this like piece of information, but also it's a piece of information that Mark would absolutely kill for. Uh, and so her, so if Lorna is rising in the ranks and she's, you know, challenging Markion for, for Eye of the Nihil, let's just say, he is going to do whatever it takes to stay in power. That is just his character, you know, and he, 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 he inherited his position and it's very important for him to like keep it up and have power, you know? So he's going to do whatever it takes to keep that. Vernestra having something that he would have, he needs is very worrisome. So Mark, just stay away from my girl. Okay. Just, just leave it alone. <laughs> I don't know how he's going to find out that she has that path, um, but he will. He will. He always does. Here's the thing, too, is that Martian is, like, actively going after Jedi right now and trying to use them to, like, test his little leveler thing he's got going on. Um, but Vern is, especially now that she has this path, but she also has her little hyperspace abilities that we don't, that we're still kind of figuring out what the deal is with that. So if he ended up like, like capturing Vern or anything like that and figured out about that, as well as her having the path, she is like the Jedi he would want to have. So if he finds out, I think he would go after her or if he already has her and finds out. Um, also, I think that I, cause I love Vern and Stellan's dynamic, like when they interact in Out of the Shadows. Um, so if Martian gets a hold of Vern, it would set both Stellan and Imri against him, which would be cool to see in a scary way where I am worried for all of them. Um, but yeah, Vern has a lot of knowledge that Martian would love to have. So well, that's really see. frightening. <laughs> cool to see in a scary way is yeah. like the sum of of the high republic um but yeah and i think this book i kind of just thought of this actually this book showed us like her hyperspace ability in in a way that we know she can't really control it and so if he if marcion and Vern were on a ship together and she just went into that hyperspace vision he would immediately see what she was doing because that's exactly what Mari does. You know, in Light of the Jedi, she's described as just being like some, somewhere else. Um, and that is kind of what Imri almost describes Vern as doing. She's doing her little Skywalker thing, you know? She's <laughs> she's doing her little thing. But um, yeah, so that's something that is very plausible is that he Markeon captures Vernestra and turns her into the new Mari that yeah, is which is about. yeah I don't want to think about it especially because we don't wherever this path ends up taking her if it's something where she ends up there and she crosses paths with him and he's like how 
did you find whatever this place is? And then it's like, you're coming with me. Also, Marcion, get away from Emery. Do not yeah, touch him. Do please not. don't. I don't want them in this. I don't want them even in the same galaxy. I don't want yeah. them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want Mark there anymore. But yeah, the idea of Vern being captured. And then what is Emery going to do? Like, mm-hmm. he is so attached to Vernestra. That is very worrisome. And like we, Emery's already in a fragile state and we saw in Test of Courage, he did have a little dark side moment. And so I'm like, I'm con- I'm like constantly worrying about him, especially if he's at Starlight when whatever happens, happens. The amount of like pain that's going to be going on that he's going to have to experience all of it. Like even when they're just on Coruscant and it's a lot of people, but nothing really that bad is happening. But just like the everyday emotions of people are too much for him mm-hmm. to be in a place with other force users who are like in pain. I really worry about him, <laughs> deeply worried for him. Emery and Avar both being the most connected to the Jedi um, through the force and also being my two number one contenders for who is going to turn to the dark side. <laughs> Imri and Avar would be such a powerful dark side duo, but also I do not want that to happen to them. Oh my gosh. That makes me, that makes me insane, truly, to think about. <laughs> like, Avar and Imri becoming Sith Lords and her being his, no, mm-mm. no, <laughs> not gonna put that out into the world. No, take it back. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not manifesting this, everyone. I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna happen. I so genuinely have panic attacks over the Fallen <laughs> Star. That poster came out like two weeks ago and I just about died. I was at work and I <laughs> and I'm having a panic attack in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I was that poster really was giving me a whole breakdown. And then like everyone sharing their theories. I literally have seen like Twitter threads of people being like, thread of people I think are gonna die and I'm like no don't like, say don't that out there stop <laughs> I know I'm like no one's gonna die actually I don't I'm I not letting poster, it happen yeah I know the poster says who will survive all of them will survive yeah exactly I'm like lighting my candles taking my like paper and writing <laughs> down. everyone's gonna survive I all my thoughts about it but like whenever I think about them I'm like I don't want this and I'm still like Elzar's visions still haven't fully come through. And so we don't, I just, I, Avar, Elzar, and Stellan obviously are all going to play a big part in whatever happens next. And they're everything. And I don't, I don't want anything to happen to them. Leave them I, alone. Yeah. Leave them out. Leave them out of it. I think I am actually most worried for Keeve. <laughs> I think she has not had a huge part in like books. She was in Tempest Runner for a little bit. Um, love that appearance she was the star um, but she is mostly in the comics um, I do have a feeling she's going to be in Fallen Star because she is um, like based on Starlight uh, so her and Skier um, whatever happens there that is the most worrisome um, thing to me to um, people who are also on Starlight all of the Padawans yeah get them out of there (laughs) they need to go on a little mission well the thing is happening at starlight i can't have them there actually they need vacation some of them go like take out cricks 
That is actually, so the plot of the Fallen Star, I actually know what it is. It's <laughs> all those Padawans, they get sent to go beat up Cricks. And then whatever happens, happens, but they're okay. They're beating up Cricks. It's just all of them ganging up on him. Just to bring up real quick, just while we're talking about the pain that we have to go through on Twitter and Twitter threads, someone did leave a thread under one of my tweets um, about Zine finally facing off with Cricks and her killing Cricks in front of Lula and Lula reacting very badly to it. And then Zine going off and never seeing Lula again because she's ashamed of killing Cricks in front of her. Why would people, why would someone say something like why that? Why would someone say that to me on Twitter? That was, the, that was genuinely the most hateful thing anyone's ever done to me. It was, I just cried for like an hour. I do think I would, I would love like a, or yeah, like a Cricks and Zine like reunion face off, but it's like, the scene in um Captain Marvel where I for, I don't know the dude's name who's like about to give his whole speech and then she just like takes him out like yes. let's have that <laughs> please that's what I need I do not need to I don't need Cricks to speak anymore yeah <laughs> I kind of just skim over his little like text bubbles <laughs> no. don't, yeah I need Cricks to go away I hate him so I hate him so much <laughs> I he just like more than I hate Lex Von Terry and anyone who follows me on, <laughs> on TikTok knows that I hate Lex Terry. <laughs> like, my hatred for Kirks has just been on the mind recently. Like, every panel that he's in, especially now that he has this little, like, Martian look-alike outfit, like, I hate that so much. I don't even, I'm like, Marsh, why does Martian even tolerate him? Like, he's just some annoying child. Why do you even keep him around? Kirks, okay, Martian must be, like, how like Crix was when when Mark was a kid like he he must see himself in it <laughs> yeah and then Crix and Markion's also like I have daddy issues so I need to be the best dad ever <laughs> and this is the child that I've ended up with my other child is Nan and she's she's too smart for me <laughs> literally like I Crix will know. literally just do anything to get Markion's approval where like yeah. Nan wants his approval but she also has like self-respect yeah um whereas Kirk's cosplayed as Mark yeah (laughs) you know that kid in like high school history class who is the teacher will say something and then the kid will be like well you know just to play devil's advocate for a minute (laughs) that is who Kirk's is that's (laughs) regurgitating everything that Mark John says if there's any sort of like confrontation between him and like Zine and Lula or any of them he'd be like They'd say anything and be like, well, Martian says. And they're like, I don't care what Martian says. Do you not have a single original thought that is not something Martian put? Because that's everything he says is just Mark's words like spewing out of him. I just hope that the standoff between Zine, Lula, and Crix happens after Zine and Lula realize that they are a dyad in the force and just become so powerful. They don't even have, Crix like blinks and he just dies because they just look at him. I hope that Martian like pulls a Kossif on Crix and like sends him off on a little death mission. I would <laughs> Like everyone else has managed to piss Martian off to the point where he wants them dead. Why not Crix? When is he going to do something? Because he's so stupid. 
I feel I'm like hoping, it wouldn't take much. I'm hoping this next like High Republic issue, he's just gonna epically fail on his mission to Takadana. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus is like, no, you're you're yeah, done. Just, like, you're I'm done with you. He has caused my girls so much pain and trauma. Out in a mouth. Oh, I want Lorna would take one look at Cricks and be like, nope. No. I the cut scene from Out of the Shadows actually is Lorna and Nan just sitting at a table drinking wine. And Lorna's like, Do you know that like blonde kid who always hangs around Marcion? And Nan is like, Oh my god, Cricks? Yeah, I tried to I wanted to kill him all the time. And Lorna's like, let's go kill him. Let's let's have a little girly adventure. <laughs> Take him out. After like Lorna takes over the Nihil in the future and Crix is still there and he's trying to like suck up to her so he can be a part of her Tempest and she's like no we do not accept homophobes in my Tempest we are inclusive so go away. I just had the horrible thought of (laughs) Nan and Crix like battling it out for Tempest Runner and like Crix winning and being Tempest Runner that was my disgusting. worst nightmare inclusive <laughs> thought actually that just happened this is so unrelated but the cricks being homophobic thing i yesterday i was talking to my roommate who like knows nothing about star wars but i just like spew information on her um and i talk about the leveler a lot because i'm just like hmm. um and so she like vaguely knows what's going on and I was going on this whole rant I was like I think that being force sensitive is just like an analogy for being gay um and that's why like the Nihil like a bunch of them are just homophobes um and then I was talking about the leveler and she was like so is the leveler just conversion therapy (laughs) (laughs) oh like wait (laughs) not not Marcian being like the CEO of conversion therapy Marcian like yeah, that's why he needs Jedi to, like, test on. He's just putting them through conversion therapy um, <laughs> and seeing what happens. He takes Udi Dis to the leveler, and he's like, how do you feel? And Udi's like, I don't think I'm in love with you. Any- I don't think we're dating anymore. And he's like, <laughs> fine, go die then. Yeah, he's like, I'll let you die. You're not in love with me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's what, that's the, like, yeah, that's what they didn't show us in Rising Storm. Mm-hmm. Kevin Scott, why did you delete those scenes from The Rising Storm? <laughs> they were so good. He's like, I can't give you guys all the answers yet, but <laughs> Fallen Star is really going to let everything become clear. Well, we'll actually get it in, in Midnight Horizon is when, is when we're going to get it. Out. The Fallen Star is just about, like, Starlight Beacon, you know, all that stuff. And then Midnight Horizon is, like, over 500 pages of just the leveler being conversion therapy. I love the implication that like Martian specifically seeks out Jedi who he thinks are gay. So like he saw Wreath and Emery and he was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the not Martian Rowe confirmed uh perpetrator of conversion therapy. You heard it here first. Mark, we hate you. That brings that makes so much more sense for the force sensitive theory though because he just has internalized homophobia I've internalized homophobia absolutely so do, I think well Crix is just a homophobe he Crix is a very straight character yeah 
he has that energy and but he's like best friend ever being gay well Lula, well zine zine is actually gay for lula we'll get into that next time when we get to the republic adventures comics but yeah craig's being like wow my best friend is gay horrible i am going to join this cult of homophobes and marcian sees him and is like this little homophobic kid like I can recruit him because I'm actually gay and in love with Udi Dis, but um, my dad, you know, didn't want me to be gay, so I have to be homophobic now, except he recruited Nan, and then she, once she met up with Lorna, she was like, oh my god, I'm not homophobic, so guess I cannot be a part of Marcian's team anymore, unfortunately. I think Nan is actually canonically bi. <laughs> is she actually? I think she is. Well, okay, there was that one scene in um, Out of the Shadows when her and Silvestri meet, and Silvestri's, like, on top of her, and and she looks at Silvestri and goes, oh, kinky. Oh, I remember that. No straight woman says that. (laughs) I, like, repressed that from my memory or something, because I do remember that very, because I literally, I was reading in my room, and there were, like, four other people in here, and I was just, like, oh my god, what's happening, and was, I remember like, reading, reading it to them. <laughs> I remember reading, like, just out of the shadows in general, and being, like, wow, I kind of relate to Nan and her, like, feeling of, like, not, re- of, like, being a part of something, but not really, you know, like, and then I was, like, and then I read that line, and I was, like, oh, I really relate to Nan. <laughs> We're both bisexuals. But yeah, she is trying to fit in with Marcion, like repress her homosexuality. And then Lorna and like Chanciero are like, it's okay. You can come with us and we're all, Lor- I, this is a Tempest Rider thing, but Lorna, she's gay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's what they like, were like, you can be gay. It's fine. And then she joins up with them. They so <laughs> they have their little like sapphic tempest going. They have their yeah. tempest going on the side. <laughs> when they describe all the tempests in Light of the Jedi, and it's like Pan Ada's were all about like their fancy outfits, and like Kasav's were all about doing drugs, and like Lorna's are just a bunch of gay women. Who said Star Wars wasn't gay? <laughs> yeah, like it, it. Literally, the Jedi Order is just gay people. The Jedi Order also like. Well, not in the High Republic era, but in the Clone Wars era, they did create the Clone Army, which is some of the most gay representation I've ever seen in my life. That was why Anakin, because I do think that Anakin is a heterosexual, unfortunately for him. I agree. That's why he just could never fit in. No, yeah. They were like, we do not accept straight people in this order. (laughs) Not the Jedi Order being heterophobic. (laughs) As they should. As they should, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Fulcrum Transmissions. Please feel free to send us questions. You can DM them to us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. In next week's episode, we'll be discussing Race to Crash Point Tower and the High Republic Adventures, so please feel free to send us questions related to those as well. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode.